Well, if you'd stand with me for the reading of God's word, Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 through 31. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they prayed, they praised the God of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Hey, good morning. Thank you to Todd for being willing to go first and sharing your testimony. We so, so appreciate that. And thank you to all of you who came out uh, last week for our three days of worship, prayer, and fasting. We had an incredible time. Uh, we had eight, eight gatherings over three days that were all like double the attendance of what I expected. Not once in those three days did the, the wind chill reach zero. So you, you pressed through the negative temperatures and, and showed up to, to pray. And it was just an incredible few days. So thank you so much for making that happen. Uh, as you've heard, we're starting a new teaching series this morning on the theme of healing in the scriptures. And I've shared a couple of times before in sermons that I grew up in a, in a wildly charismatic church, right? So I spent the first two decades of my life in this charismatic, praying for healing kind of context. But then when I went into college and, and beyond and uh, went to seminary and then became a pastor, I was, I was in the, the Reformed tradition. Uh, so a little bit more kind of Bible-based in, in the teaching and experience. But I've spent about two decades in each of these worlds. And if there, was, if there was one practical difference I would point to between these two things, they've each got their own kind of nuances and strengths and weaknesses in my opinion, but if there's one area where they are most practically different, I would say it's in the way that they heal for, or the way that they pray for those who, who want healing, the way that they pray for those who are sick, suffering, injured, and in some kind of immediate need. Because in my church growing up, praying for, for healing was, was everywhere. But I, I remember some of those first few college Bible studies, and somebody would, would share that they were incredibly sick or, or hurt or, or just really struggling with some kind of chronic pain. And then folks would begin to pray for them, and they would all just pray for perspective. Like they would pray for like understanding and, and endurance and just that we would, we would think better thoughts and things like that. And I felt like I was taking crazy pills. I didn't even know. I couldn't probably even pray in the moment because I didn't know, like, what are we doing here? This is like an upside down world. Now, surely my, my church experience growing up had its own issues, especially on this topic. I mean, they would, they would promise healing sometimes. They would expect healing to the point that if somebody wasn't healed, it was almost this sense of like, well, you must not have enough faith because I did everything right. And so people would be left in shame if they didn't experience healing. So in my, in my experience, kind of two things are, are true of these groups. The charismatic group struggles with unanswered prayer, often coming out of a, a weak theology of prayer. And yet, I think the Reformed tradition struggles with answered prayer. They almost don't know what to do with answered prayer. And so when somebody says that they've experienced healing or, or significant renewal in a moment, there's almost this sense of skepticism and cynicism that comes up. 
One of my favorite authors said, I had to go to seminary to learn that God no longer loves healing. (laughs) But I think, I think both groups are actually making the same mistake. I think in, in both cases, what's happening is that we have a low view of God. We're expecting him to do things a, a certain way, to, to operate in a, in a set pattern where we can know exactly what he's going to do, and then we get perturbed when he doesn't do things the way that we want. Both things are coming out of a low view of God. And so in this series, as, as, we, as we always try to do, what we want to do is go back to the scriptures. We want to go back to the gospels. We want to go to the Old Testament and the New Testament letters and see what they say about this topic of healing. As Todd said, it was one year ago to the Sunday that we started a a teaching series called Life in the Spirit. It ended up going 14 weeks, and I think uh, all of us that are in the leadership would say this was the single most uh, significant or impactful series that that we have done as a church. It it changed the, the sort of dynamic of the church and our faith in a way that, that nothing else quite has. And, and so we've kind of been asking, where, where do we go after that? And we've continued to teach and unpack all these themes. But what's kind of our, our next step in terms of life in the Spirit? And looking back to that series, what we felt like was that maybe the most significant week was the week that we really studied miracles, faith, and healing. It wasn't just the sermon, but the, the emphasis that week and what God was doing in our midst Uh, began in us a course of genuinely praying for one another in healing. And what we saw, I I would say before that moment, I had never heard in in this church a a testimony of sudden and surprising healing. But in the 52 weeks since then, I've heard maybe 15 or 20 cases of true, uh, unexplainable, apart from God's grace, healings. And what I love is that it, it really started with the people who would like, you would least expect maybe. I think the five or six people that first experienced some kind of healing actually work in healthcare. It's like doctors and, and phys- um, physical therapists and, and nurses and things like that. Like the kind of people you would not expect to, to make something like this up. Like it actually puts their career and reputation on the line to come forward and say, I don't know how other than the grace of God, but I experienced healing. And so what do we, what do, we do with all this? How do we step into all of this? This, this series does feel like a little bit of a risk. I think probably once a day this week, I found myself thinking, what am I doing? <laughs> why can't I just preach the easy stuff? But, but here's why. We believe, and we believe from the scriptures, that God's heart is for healing. That, that he loves you. And that he cares about you in your pain and suffering. So really, this is a series about God's presence, about his, his nearness, his with us nowness, like not just his presence in general out there, but his face turned towards us, presence, his love, his tenderness and our suffering. And so there's three things I'm going to cover today. It's just an, an intro. We've got a baptism as well, so I'm going to try to keep it tight. There's some good stuff happening today, all right? We're going to look at God's heart for healing We're going to do a theology of healing in eight minutes. And then we're going to close by looking at the hope and mystery of healing. So let's pray. Let's commit this series to the Lord and we'll see what happens. Um, Father God, we need you 
every week, every moment. Um, but we really need you right now. Uh, this, this whole thing is designed to fail unless you show up. We, we pray for more of your presence. We pray for more of you in our hearts and our lives and our church and our city and our world. Would you open up the, the scriptures to us and would you open our, our minds and give us wisdom and understanding into your word? Would you soften us where we've had bad experiences or, or have skepticism and cynicism from the past? May we, may we come together in, in faith and, and hope into what, uh, what you can do in our midst here, Lord. Would you protect us from error? Would you protect us from, from any um, misleading information or, or any outside voices that are untrue? Would you protect us from the enemy and, and his lies trying to get into our unity? But Lord, would you draw us closer, draw us deeper into who you are, that we might know you and experience you and experience your, your healing touch now and forever, God. We pray this in, in the name above all names, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let's start with God's heart for healing. And we're looking at just three verses from Matthew 15. And if, if you would, would you just try to put yourself in, in the scene as I read these verses again? Imagine that, that you are in this moment. It says, Jesus left there and walked along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. All right, so picture yourself there on this, this beautiful, green, grassy knoll. The, the mountain that, that he's describing is, is not a treacherous Colorado mountain. It's a, it's a really large hill. And Jesus goes up, and he sits down. And verse 30 said, Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And laid them at his feet. Imagine flocks of people coming and they're, they're carrying one another. They're, they're carrying those who are disabled. They're leading those who are blind. They're carrying those who have been sick or chronically ill with, with no relief. People are being carried into the presence of Jesus and, and just, just laid out in front of him. And it says, he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. I mean, just imagine somebody who's never walked in their life standing up and running around and dancing for the first time. Somebody who's never spoken before crying out in praise to God above. Somebody who's never seen anything in their lives looking upon their loved ones for the first time ever. Imagine the, the unbridled joy and celebration of this moment. And it says they praise the God of Israel. I mean, it's an unbelievable, beautiful scene that, that shows us not only the ministry of Jesus, but the heart of God himself. It's impossible to, to read the Bible and not see Jesus' compassion on those who are suffering. And every time we see Jesus in action, we know that he is doing the will of the Father. 
Right, so Jesus is, is the Son of God. He's the second member of the Trinity. He shares all the same attributes with the Father and the Spirit. So whatever is true of Jesus is also true of the Father and the Spirit in terms of who they are, how they think, how they act. Jesus is everything God wanted to say to the world in a person. Shout out Jesus Storybook Bible. In Jesus' life and ministry, we see the heart of the Father, Okay? Not just for the first century, but for, for all time, for right now. And healing is not a, a minor note in the life of Jesus. Let's look at just a few quick passages. Mark 1, 34. Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. Luke four forty. At sunset, people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses. And laying his hands on each one, he healed them all. Now, Matthew's the one of the gospel writers that really, really leans into Jesus' healings the most. In Matthew 9, he says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Matthew 12, Jesus would withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. Matthew 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And then our passage, Matthew 15, great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and he healed them. And so this point is, is so simple and yet so hard to get into the depths of our being. I think it'll take the whole series, maybe our whole lives, to get it fully into our hearts that God is for healing. God loves healing. He loved it in the Old Testament when he healed Naaman and when he healed the widow's son. He loved it during Jesus' time on earth. He loved it in Acts when moments after they received the, the Holy Spirit, they began to heal people. Whether it's in Africa or Asia or here, he loves healing. And it actually takes some really unusual theological work to, to come to a place where God cannot or does not heal anymore. Like the kind of hermeneutics is the term for it. The hermeneutics that's required to get there actually breaks all the laws of hermeneutics, if you're asking for my opinion. But as soon as you hear this, God's heart is for healing. God loves healing. If you're like me, all of these questions just start coming up to the service. Okay, well, well then what about this? And, and, and why not this? And, and if he does this, then what about this? And so fortunately, we also have a, an eight-minute theology of healing, all right? So let me give you sort of a, a definition and then a framework for healing that I hope will, will help us ease into the series. First of all, I love Professor Jack Deere's definition of healing. He says healing, these are acts of empowered love. Acts of empowered love meant to shepherd the church into the last days. You remember that phrase that Jesus saw them as sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion on them with him. These are acts of love meant to shepherd the church. And into the last age is just a way to say that one day we will all be healed in the new creation. But we need, we need some help in getting there. We need some help in staying on course and being encouraged along the way. And so healing can include physical healing from sickness or injury or chronic illness or disability. 
It can include emotional healing, this profound, sudden relief from, from shame or from some low view of oneself, improper view of oneself. It can also include psychological healing, immediate freedom from depression or anxiety or some debilitating mental illness. It can mean spiritual healing. Salvation itself is, is the primary form of spiritual healing. We are made new creatures. And yet spiritual healing can also happen as we live in Christ. And so many, many of you have experienced mistreatment in the church or religious mistreatment. There is spiritual healing for that. There are times when even believers are, are harassed and attacked by the enemy, even facing perpetual demonic opposition, but there's spiritual healing. And then lastly, there's relational healing, sudden spirit-empowered restoration between people and groups. So this is what we mean by healing. And if I was going to give you just a, just a few points of a a framework of systematic theology. I know not everybody's quite as into this as sometimes pastors all, but I'll give you just a few simple points uh, to help us get a, a framework of theology. And by a few, I mean nine. Here's the first one. <laughs> God designed a good and perfect world. So in the beginning, everything that God made was good and was in perfect wholeness and in perfect harmony. But second, our world was broken by sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, it brought the power of sin into the world and it brought a curse upon all mankind. So relationships enter into conflict. Our bodies begin to ache and experience brokenness. Our work literally works against us. And most of all, death entered into the world, all because of this original sin. Now, third, God often heals as a, as a restoration of creation. This, this sickness, these injuries, this awful suffering, it was not meant to be in the beginning. So anytime there's a healing, any kind of miracle at all, it's a reversion back to creation as it was meant to be. Jesus never does hear, miracles just for the sake of like getting people's attention or doing something impressive. It's always a restoration of how things were meant to be. And it's a major theme in the scriptures. Number four, God's healing work, though, is a mystery. We see that Jesus did not heal everybody. And these, these summary passages, it sounds like he did, like an entire village could just bring them all of their sick and he would heal them. At other times, he would go to a, the pool of Bethesda where there's sick and struggling people everywhere and he picks one person and he heals them and then he leaves. And so healing is a mystery. There is no formula we have no way of knowing who might be healed and who won't. It is a mystery. But number five, God's healing is motivated by his love. It's, it's, not, a, it's not primarily like a power flex. It's, it's primarily an outpouring of love. Matthew 9, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. And the word compassion there is this strong emotion, this groaning of love that rises up within people. That's how Jesus' heart is described. Number six, Jesus entrusted his healing ministry to his followers and they healed as an expression of their ministry. And so in Luke 10, Jesus sent out 72 of his followers, not just his 12 disciples, but 72 of his followers to, 
to, to carry out his ministry. So they, they healed the sick and they cast out demons. They did everything that Jesus was doing because he had entrusted his ministry to them. This is part of the purpose of healing, that it would bring glory to God and it would bring just incredible unity in the church, that people would praise God together as healings happen. So in our own community, if you heal, hear of somebody experiencing healing, that's in a sense for you as well, for all of us. We can all celebrate that. Not every one of us is going to experience healing, but anytime somebody does, it's a gift for this whole community to say, thank you, Lord, another person, another one of us has been healed. And then further, number seven, we're getting there. There's, there's no indication in the scriptures that Jesus wanted his followers to stop seeking others' healing. There, there's no indication in scripture that there was like an end date on that ministry. Instead, we're meant to follow Jesus in everything that he did in the same way that the early church did. And none of the apostles say that this is supposed to end in their generation. Rather, in James 5, it actually tells the, the church that the elders are to be involved in this ministry of healing. And it gives a framework for how pastors are to heal for the sick in their midst. Now, number eight, one day everyone will be healed. There, there will be total and complete healing for all of us. And it's in the new creation. You know, we have, we have folks in the back during uh, the communion time and the, and the songs, we'll do it again today, our prayer team. We do some training for them. And one of the things we tell them is not to promise healing. If anybody promises sudden and, and complete healing, they're a, a false teacher or, or, you know, some kind of weirdo. Just move the other direction. We, we don't promise healing like right now. But we actually can say that you will be healed. You will be healed in the new creation. Just think about that. You will be healed spiritually. You will be healed emotionally, psychologically, relationally, and physically. Like you will be completely made new in the new creation. Revelation 21 says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be with their, be their God. So it's this incredible statement of his presence. And then it says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. If you say, how can that happen? The next chapter, Revelation 22, simply says, no longer will there be any curse. It's gone. Jesus reverses the curse. And so number nine, last, to follow the way of Jesus is to seek the healing of those who need it. I am, I am convinced from the scriptures, I think it's one thing to, to believe those first eight statements about healing in general, but it's it's another step to actually start praying for healing in your own life and in the lives of others. To pray for healing is to, to enter a story of both hope and mystery. That's the last thing, hope and mystery. I, I know, I acknowledge, I feel that this is a, a difficult, complex, overwhelming topic. And it is, it is not just hard intellectually or theologically, it is, it is hard personally. I mean, this is a deeply personal thing. 
We're talking about bringing the the core of our pains and struggles before God and in the presence of one another. It's it's deeply personal. I think the the strongest reason why why believers sometimes don't believe in healing or or struggle to pray for healing, it's, it's simply because we haven't seen it. It's simply because we, we haven't seen it. It's not that, that folks are, are all against it or they don't want to see it, but simply if you haven't seen it, it's hard to imagine praying for something that could change everything, but you've never actually seen it before, right? Now that's going to be hard for all of us. And that's why we're, we're encouraging members to share testimonies. And we hope to have testimonies every week over the next eight to maybe 12 weeks of these, of these sermons. We're not looking for the wildest testimonies either. We're not looking to like blow people away with the spectacularity of the healings. We're actually looking for for the ones that are just most representative of of how God works. Examples of physical, emotional, spiritual, relational healing. And so I hope you are are deeply encouraged by these. Now we're not going to include them in the in the sermon recordings each week just for folks privacy. So in the sermons I'll mostly be sharing some stories from other contexts. This is one that I came across this week that I absolutely loved. In, in the 90s, there was a, a missionary woman named Heidi Baker. Some of you know that name. She and her husband were missionaries in Mozambique, and they had been serving for, for years and years and years, and they were doing orphan care in Mozambique among the, the poorest, at the time it was the poorest country in the world. And so after years of this incredibly difficult work, Heidi became incredibly sick and she needed to be flown back to the United States for weeks of treatment. And so when she was in the U.S., she was in the hospital and she said she received a vision of of Jesus himself. And Jesus stood before her in in all of her suffering and he, he gave her a piece of his body and said, this is my body, it's enough for you. And he took his blood and he said, this is my blood, it's enough for you. And he said, because I died, there will always be enough. And so Heidi and her husband, they, they returned to Mozambique with fresh energy. But the moment they got there, like all hell had broken loose, like almost literally. The, the country was in war, chaos had broken out, and their orphanage had been uh, wiped out by the local police. They had t- scattered all of the children away, and there was nothing left for them to go back to. So they come back, and the local police are trying to expel them from the company, from the country, and they're, they're literally hiding out. They find a, an office building in a town called Mupatu, and they're hiding out in a small office building. And day after day, these children walk barefoot 15 miles when they hear where they are and they ask if they can stay with them. So Heidi and her husband have no food. They have no way to help them. They're hiding out, but they just keep taking in these orphans. And she said they reached about 100 children in this little office. They were, they were going to the bathroom on the floor. There was no food. It was, it was an absolute crisis. So they were calling out to the U.S. Embassy, and finally a a woman from the embassy came over, and she had heard that they had no food, so she brought enough chili and rice for for Heidi and her family, for four people. As she gets there, opens the door, and sees about a hundred children who have not eaten in days. And Heidi realized that the best thing to do was to pray that the food be multiplied. 
And, and the embassy worker, it says, actually begged her not to do it. Like, don't do this in front of the children. But she did. And she asked for a, a stack of, of leftover, like, plastic bowls to be brought in. And she began to pour the chili into the bowls. And she filled every bowl to the top, bowl after bowl after bowl. And it kept going until every single child had a bowl and all four of them, and, and the embassy worker, every one of them had enough to eat. She recounts, I was dazed and overwhelmed. I barely understood at the time what a wonderful thing was happening. But all our children ate. Everyone had enough. And then she remembered the dream. Because Jesus died, there will always be enough. Probably none of us have, have seen a miracle quite like this, right? And part of that, I think, is because none of us have ever needed a miracle quite like this. I mean, I've never prayed for a, a meal to be multiplied because I've honestly never needed it to be. But they desperately needed some kind of breakthrough, some kind of divine, supernatural intervention, some kind of physical healing, accommodation, breakthrough, miracle, and when they prayed for it, they received it. The, there was a, a pastor in California years ago, John Wimber, his church, he led the Vineyard Church movement, and they kind of became famous for seeing a lot of people healed. And he was a really ordinary guy, and when people asked him why they were doing it, even though it was kind of controversial, he said, when we didn't pray for anyone, no one got healed. And when we started praying for people, some of them got healed. And like, that was basically it. And even though just some of them got healed, that was enough. It was certainly enough for the people that got healed, right? I mean, any amount of healing is, is absolutely life-changing for one person, and that's enough. And on top of that, it builds the whole faith of the community around it. We're, we're doing this series because we believe God's heart is for healing. We know that he loves us. We know that he draws near to us in our suffering and pain. We believe that he's for healing even now. And so we, we can and should pray boldly, both with expectancy for healing, but also with trust in non-healing. We can hold expectancy and trust together. And in fact, I love how the Lord's prayer, Jesus' famous prayer actually does this. He says, pray your kingdom come. Like on earth and heaven, pray your kingdom come. Make how it is down here, more like it is up there, your kingdom come and your will be done. Not our will, but your will be done. So even the Lord's prayer helps us to hold together your kingdom come in boldness and your will be done in trust. It was maybe a year or so after this passage, Jesus went up on another mountain and the people that were in this crowd being healed, celebrating with them, were probably some of the same folks that now were calling for his crucifixion. They, they had seen enough. Their hearts had turned against him. And he was crucified and buried. He was put away in the grave. But all of this, too, was part of God's plan. This was part of the healing, not just of an individual, but of the whole world. And Jesus rose from the grave in, in the power of resurrection. And that resurrection power was not just for raising Jesus, but it flooded into our entire world. 
So that now resurrection power is what marks our, our life in God. By his wounds, Isaiah 53 says, we are healed. By the wounds of Jesus, your wounds are healed. Your sins are forgiven. You are made whole. And so as a church, we just want to say, let's not resist the supernatural side of Christianity, right? Like it's easy as Christians to be like, oh, we're cool. You know, we're hip. We're just like the world. It's like maybe... Maybe that's not a good thing. I mean, the resurrection is at the heart of our faith. We are a supernatural people. Like a miracle is at the center. And so don't despise the supernatural side of Christianity. Remember last week, Simeon and Anna in the temple? When, when things got darker, they went deeper. The culture got darker, and so they went deeper into the presence of God. And as a result, they saw things that no one else got to see. As a result of their prayer and fasting, they saw prayers answered. They saw the presence of God in the way that few other people did. And our passion as a church is simply for more of God. More of God in our hearts, in our lives, in our community groups, in our city, all across the world. When your passion is the presence of God here and now with us, it makes healing become a natural thing to pray for. As we've said so many times, we are not here to just play church and go to lunch. Jesus didn't die so we can just put on smiles and, and hide all our pains from one another. He died so we could have access into the presence of God and there find healing and renewal. So I know some of you are suffering deeply. You've, you've been suffering in, in ways that I can't even imagine. You've been carrying hurt and pain for years or decades. And we don't, we don't know how this is going to play out. We don't know how, how much actual healing will be experienced. But if we, if we believe in this and just leave you in pain and suffering and not, not pray for you, not give you hope in, in this life and in the one to come, then, I mean, like, what are we doing? But we believe that God's heart is for healing. It's, it's a whole series that says, if God doesn't show up, this thing is going to go horrible. <laughs> but if God does show up, and it'll, it'll be like the old apostle prayed, that we will experience more than we ever asked or imagined. That's our hope. That's our prayer for this series. Let's pray together. Um, Father God, we look to you, giver of, of all life, such, a, such an abundant giver. You, you're not a stingy God, but you are, you are, you are the God of of. 150 gallons of wine at a funeral. You're the God of three loaves of bread in the middle of the night. The God who, who feeds 5,000 and there's still 12 basketfuls left over. You are, you are not a withholding God. You're a God of abundance. Lord, we know you're a God of wisdom as well and we don't, we don't know a fraction of what you know. And yet we, we just humbly and, and in faith 
all the faith that we can muster, we just bring ourselves before you. And like the folks in this passage, we bring one another before you. We, we're, just, we're just going up on that hillside together and, and just sprawling out at your feet saying, Lord, heal us. Lord, we've got some deep wounds in our souls. No, no amount of, of other efforts have been able to, to, to drive them out. We've been to doctors, we've, we've been to counselors, all good things, but now we need your healing touch, Lord. Would you come? Would you set free the captives? Would you bind up the broken? Would you heal the sick? Lord, we believe that you can do this and believe that you long to do it. And we trust you wherever it does and doesn't happen, God. We commit this whole series to you. In Jesus' name, amen.